you want somebody to be able to get what they want on the schedule that they want it. And if anything comes up or changes, that needs to be easy for the customer. And then on the brand side, you want the ability to sell into that customer. That's kind of the goal with a lot of these programs is to get more profit out of your subscription base. Hello, my name is Lauren D'Souza and you're listening to Retain, the Customer Retention Podcast. More and more companies are wanting to focus on retaining customers, but what exactly are the powers of customer retention? And how are companies using it to keep their customers coming back for more? That's what we're here to find out. All right, everyone, welcome to the Customer Retention Podcast. It's great to have you back and a happy new year to everyone listening to the podcast. Today, I have with me the first guest of 2023. And so a little intro about Matthew Holman is that he loves discovering how different technologies combined are creating beautiful and informative graphics. And he applied himself to learning the art and science of design. Transitioning into marketing and e-commerce in 2019 proved to be an interesting but necessary challenge to him. He is constantly seeking to grow and apply himself to new challenges. And if you know anything about e-commerce, you'll appreciate how challenging things can be. Ultimately, his life centers around working hard, seeing and treating others the way they want, and loving the opportunity that life gives him every single day. He's the co-founder and currently the head of growth at QPilot.cloud. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Matthew. Great. Thank you, Lauren. Awesome. So let's get started. Let's learn more about you. The first question I always ask on my show is, tell us more about yourself, give us a quick little pitch, and then we'll dive into it. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciated you reading more about my life view and journey than necessarily what my career is as an introduction. You don't normally get that. So all that's true. And a lot of what I do as a marketer is trying to figure out how to educate, create content. I love community building, doing events, things like that. So for me, I love creating content, figuring out how to help people explain things, how things work, creating better experiences, community building. For me, it's very much I think marketing should be trying to meet people where they're at and what they need. And life is no different. I like that. And so with that in mind, how did that get you to founding Cute Pilot? How did that get you to where you are right now? I actually was working, I was doing marketing for a logistics company and we were doing a lot with postage and shipping rates and kind of got tired of working for somebody else and was starting to look the entrepreneur route and got an opportunity to join QPilot. It'd been around for a couple of years before that, but it never really had a marketing leader on their team. So I joined and basically we've been working to try to lead it from a product standpoint and growth. So we're very much a subscription software. We're an independent platform and we integrate with things like WooCommerce, Shopify, and uh, Salesforce is right around the corner too. So yeah, that's a lot of what we do. That's awesome. And it makes sense for what you're working on, considering that I've seen in multiple different areas through LinkedIn and all that your videos and stuff like that, that your coin is almost like a subscription expert. So what is it about subscriptions that you like? What is it that's enticing to you? Tell me more about that. It is really funny. Like if you asked me a couple of years ago, if I would end up in the subscription space, I'd be like, what? Sorry. But <laughs> I think what makes it really fascinating is that it's, for me, it's about engagement with your best customers. So it's like, you're not just trying to figure out like subscriptions are appealing because there's predictable revenue, you know, your board's going to like it, your financials are going to be healthier. I get all that. But for me, it's the idea of you're creating a more engaged experience with the people that love your product and your brand the most. And so what makes that kind of fun is figuring out how to do that better and better. So it's something that's like really being innovated much in the same way that the shopping cart was being innovated five, six years ago around all the different things you can do and unlock and, and have control. And subscriptions are doing that same thing. And that's what makes it fun for me is unlocking that. And it's kind of like an underserved area from a content standpoint, you know, 
e-commerce hacks and marketing hacks and all this stuff. There's like, you know, a million YouTube videos and courses on all this stuff. And subscriptions is like this small little thing that every brand is trying to figure out. And yet a lot of people aren't talking about. So that's what makes it fun for me. Interesting. And I was going to say, I find it interesting that you are talking about this and it's so interesting to you because I myself, I know a little bit about the subscription model, meaning just kind of the bare fundamentals, obviously, of how it works and things like that. But when you mentioned that it's appealing to the board and also it's almost that guaranteed revenue, I actually view it as not that because basically, I guess based on the business that I've studied who have the subscription boxes where I guess businesses just don't have it together, maybe just yet, maybe they're missing a piece in that flywheel to actually make it all work. But I found that subscriptions can be hard for businesses sometimes because it's hard to actually guarantee after a certain period of time to get someone to keep going? Or how do you find that one thing that will keep a customer coming back time and time again? And I'm solely talking about the D2C side, not really the B2B side of licensing, but more so on the subscriptions for boxes and things like that. And I myself as a consumer, I always think to myself, like, what will make me continue to stick to the subscription? So I guess that's why I find it interesting that you talk about it, because I also am curious to know about what you think really makes a subscription model works. So do you have an example of a company that does it really well, even like a client of yours, I guess, obviously without having to name names? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I have a lot of examples. I think it is interesting. And I said it that way because that's how I think I see that happening in a lot of companies is that a board or a financial person will say, hey, subscriptions are predictable. They're easy. Go do them. And then the brand goes to do them and they find out like what you just said about how difficult it is to understand what people want or not. So there's quite a few. So depending on like what angle, but like a general subscription that I always bring up is Dollar Shave Club because I'm bald and I've been on that one for years and I get razors for them. They are not a customer of ours, but I've always just really appreciated it because it's very much like a meet me where I'm at. So I only buy razors from them. I buy razors and replacement razors. They have tried to upsell me on a bunch of other stuff. I'm not interested in that. That's fine. But I know that they do a really great job of giving gifts and inserts and making that experience really, really easy. And what I like is if at any time I start to run out of razors faster than I anticipated, or I end up noticing that I'm maybe just not shaving as much lately. And so the replacement cartridges start to pile up a little bit. I know I can literally just go to my email, search Dollar Shave Club, find any email, click a link, takes me to my account page and I can change the frequency. And not only can I just change how often I'm getting it, I can change what I'm getting. So it's like, I've gone from getting like one pack of razors every month to one pack of razors every three months to two packs of razors every six months. Like I can make it whatever I want, whenever I want it. I think for me, that's a great customer service experience, a customer experience, right? Like I'm going to stay with them because it's really easy I'm never shopping anywhere else for razors unless some there's some problem that comes up with them because it's just really, really easy to stay on their program. And that's what I think makes it great. Now on their side, I know they get a customer that I might not be the most profitable customer because I'm just buying razors, but they've already paid the acquisition cost for me five years ago. Everything they're getting from me is just, I'm taking advantage of automation and systems they put in place and I'm buying their stuff at full price, basically. I think that's what makes it kind of appealing from the business side of things. So it's hard to get there, but that's another question. <laughs> <laughs> I also was going to say that as you were talking about it, there was slight themes of customer experience and satisfaction from the customer service point of view. And I want to know more about what kind of aspects of the subscription model need to be in place really well so that 
this whole thing works because I feel that it seems like a simple thing to implement. And then when you try and do it, you're thinking, okay, this is actually not so easy. And there's so many different little details that go into it. And I feel like customer experience might be maybe a bucket of that or maybe a part of that whole thing. But from your point of view, from what you see works the best, what are some of the areas that companies need to think about when delivering a very successful subscription model? Sure, absolutely. So I think there's a couple of things in you know, maybe taking just a step back and thinking how you figure out which out of this list of things are maybe the most to prioritize or think about is, is I think the biggest mistake I see in the subscription space are brands that aren't spending enough time understanding why people are subscribing. And I say that it's pretty obvious to most brands why people buy their products. At least they think it is, right? So example, the the shaving thing, right? It's like, it might be pretty obvious to think somebody's buying a razor because they want to get a shave. And maybe that's it. But for some brands and some people, they are looking for a greater outcome. I want an easier shave. I want a cleaner shave. I want to look better or nicer. You know, there's there's certainly outcomes. And so when we start to think about subscription programs, they're typically a relationship because there's something ongoing happening. So if it's supplements, I'm trying to get healthier. I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying to sleep better. If it's pet food, I'm trying to make sure my pet is getting the right food every day kind of thing, right? So there's all these outcomes people are going for. And so depending on the outcome, you mentioned subscription boxes too. So if I'm like subscribed to like a battle box, right? Where I'm getting this really cool box of cool dude stuff every month to go outdoors with and camp with and and all these really fun things, all those different scenarios I mentioned have a different type of priority, right? So if you're talking about a subscription box, some of the great things to think about is like that wow factor. Every month you want to be creating this anticipation around you're getting your box, you're getting your cool stuff. Here's a teaser for what's in there kind of thing. And you want that unboxing experience to be really powerful. You could maybe add a community or something other than that, right? Great social media. Battlebox is again, a great example of that. There's a lot of content out there so that you're seeing somebody use the thing you just got on a video, right? So there's all this engagement. If we're talking about other experiences or other types of products, it could be flexibility. It could be control. Those I think are often the biggest ones, but it's really just, you want somebody to be able to get what they want on the schedule that they want it. And if anything comes up or changes, that needs to be easy for the customer. And then on the brand side, you want the ability to sell into that customer. So it's not just like, Again, I'm not an ideal Dollar Shave Club customer, but I know they're getting a lot of upsells from their program, right? And that's where they're driving more and more profit because somebody they acquired for 50 bucks who's now on a $20 a month order, maybe they can get them to 30, right? That's kind of the goal with a lot of these programs is to get more profit out of your subscription base. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I hadn't thought about it that way in terms of starting with the outcome or almost like the job that the customer is trying to complete, whether it's, if it's a dollar shave cup, it's actually more for convenience and just having that sort of constant supply of the razors. But then one that I had checked out before was called, I think it was called Ipsy, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a, a makeup subscription. But what was really interesting is that you can actually choose it on the wow factor or you can choose it for the convenience because someone like myself, I don't really use makeup that much. So maybe I'd go more for the wow factor just to try new things and see what it's all about. Or somebody could be going for the convenience factor to go for having a constant supply of makeup products that they'll be using on a constant basis, for example. So I guess every single one of these subscription boxes, no matter what they're selling, it's all for that specified priority or outcome, which is interesting. Yeah. And I think when you get to large size, like Dollar Shave Club or Ipsy, you're going to have like multiple customer segments and multiple reasons why. But for most brands that are starting out that are, you know, even doing a million or two in revenue, I mean, even up to 5 million in revenue, the idea is you're trying to focus on like one core demographic 
And then you know that that's bringing others along with them, right? But again, the idea is you're trying to think about what do people really want to get out of the subscription? And the reason I mentioned that too, is because I see a lot of brands that are not doubling down on that in the sense of like, you know, your order notifications, your messaging, when you log into your portal. And I think what's interesting about being on this podcast with you and what like Gameball does is this idea of like, you're trying to create experiences that are reinforcing this attachment to the brand and the product. And it's right. It's not just about discounts, but if you know why somebody wants the product, you can start to offer all these other loyalty perks, content, exclusivity, things like that, that make that engagement really, really powerful. And you can do that at scale with those things. I think that it's a lot easier to scale content than it is like discounting every order kind of thing. 100%. Right? And also it shouldn't just be about discounting because even with Gameball, when I'm chatting with our customers and clients and helping form their strategies, it's very much about creating the customer experience. It's not heavily discount everything so that people buy it because A, that's not scalable. B, that's not efficient for the business itself. And C, that's actually almost providing almost like a false positive because if someone gets something for a dollar, of course I'll try it. Why not? But it's actually not profitable towards the business operations itself. So I definitely agree with you there. And I'm curious to know, do you find that there are certain industries where this focus on the customer experience and the subscription boxes and things like that work really well over others? Or is it more about focusing on the subscription, I guess like the gears in the machine first, and then it's industry agnostic? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, I don't think that there's necessarily one that has to be, it may be B2B wholesale as it from a repeat purchase standpoint needs to have all the gears working the right way. Otherwise people just, that's when we're seeing at QPilot where the ability to have a lot of control over the subscription means that you can put B2B wholesale purchases on it because they know they can change whatever they need on every order. I would say that for the most part, it's really just about focusing on experience. And even then most brands, when they start subscriptions, they're actually just adding you really have two types. You have the subscription boxes, which are being built with subscriptions in mind. And they're trying to figure out what customers really want over time because they're giving them a lot of things, right? They're giving them an experience and crafting that experience can take time. The alternative would be like, say, you know, you're selling pet food as one time and you add the widget on your site now where you're offering a subscription option. And so a lot of times there brands start doing it. And the nice thing about that method is you do start to collect data. So, you know, you might just add whatever subscription app and you are collecting post-purchase data and some cancellation, subscription cancellation data. It's like one of the things I recommend is you should just start doing some of those things from a basic standpoint or an MVP standpoint. And then that way you can start collecting data and figuring out what to do. And a really great story for that is one of our customers is iHeartDogs and they do a special with any food you buy, they donate to feed shelter pets. Oh, I love so, that. <laughs> yeah, they've got a great mission. And so people who come in care about that mission, right? And so as I mentioned earlier about understanding what people care about, you know, in their messaging, they're reminding people of how they're feeding shelter pets, right? That's not just you're getting your order if you need to make changes, click here, but also remember you're feeding X number of pets with this order kind of thing. But what they did is they ran their program for like two years of just like that baseline idea while they were focusing on other aspects of the business. And then when they started looking at their data, they found what's really common in subscriptions is that the number one reason people are canceling is they had too much product, which is maybe not number one everywhere, but is essentially number one in the subscription space, right? But they went a little bit deeper, like why do people have too much product? And I think that's also another thing that I prompt businesses to try to think about. It's like, why do people have too much? They had too much because people didn't know how much pet food to order for their size dog. 
So they were confused on how much the bag would be and how long it would last, that kind of yeah. thing. And you you rather have too much than too little for something like food for your pet. Right, exactly. So they took that info though, and they went and they redesigned their product page. And now their product page has this option where you select how big your dog is. And depending on how big your dog is, it auto selects the amount of pet food you should be buying. And it gives you the default frequency on subscription. Now, crafting that was expensive. That took time and resources to craft that the right way, right? So you don't start out just doing that thinking that's what you need. But what it did was like a 30% conversion boost for them on the product page to get people to subscribe. But it also like moonshotted their retention because that was the number one reason why people were canceling is they just, now they have the right amount of product, right? So you take these steps of like, I'm just going to try to do it. I'm just trying to get information. And then once I start to get information, I'm going to start craft something. And so I think like loyalty is a great example of that. You know, you might be giving double reward points on subscriptions, but what people really care about is the free shipping they get on subscriptions or, you know, the every three months I get a really special video from the founder. Like that's what I care. You know what I mean? You just don't know what people are going to care about until you start offering and finding out. I was going to say that's literally everything I preach on my strategy calls because <laughs> I basically say that every single business is different and there's a reason why your customer is purchasing from you. So it's in your best interest to understand down to the detail, granular level of their behavior, what excites them, what they're looking forward to, and every single business will differ. And so for example, with Gameball, on your VIP levels, you can offer custom benefits. So we have some brands who do things like one-on-one -on -one style consultations because people like that kind of thing or exclusive events or even a new style of ribbon just because they like the exclusivity of whatever it is that the business is selling, meaning that might work for one business, but it won't work for the other. And I really like that approach because you're basically rooting it in customer behavior and their experience versus just saying there's a one size fits all for all subscription boxes and it all just makes sense this way. Absolutely. And sometimes I know that a lot of brands depending, it is pretty hard to audit all this stuff, but thinking about, you know, sometimes it's also tie back retention to being an acquisition problem in the sense of you're going after the wrong type of customers, right? Like you might be running a discount campaign and they, so they churn pretty quickly because they're just interested in discounts instead of maybe running a campaign to a very specific type of user is going to be more profitable. And then that actually helps your retention because you're acquiring somebody who values the product more highly. So, And I know we've talked a lot more on the company sides about how it looks for their business models, how they increase their retention, how they increase their conversion. But on the customer side, do you think subscriptions are a win-win between companies and customers? I think they're starting to become more so. I think for a long time, they were much more inflexible. And so the customer was left like you get what you get on each month, right? I think it's still a really common practice is like a subscription box isn't as important about the timing of when you get it. So they might ship everything out on the 15th, right? So you get it depending on where you are and how long it takes to get you. But if you're like getting pet food or, you know, you're getting a supplement or whatever, sometimes that can matter. If you're starting to run low. But so this idea of like, you know, we ship orders on the second of every week or the second Tuesday of the month. I think that idea of, is starting to go away where people are starting to have more control over where they pick when they're getting it, how often they're getting it. So it's starting, I think, to start to line up more and more. What's really interesting is, is from the business side, though, like our data shows that flexibility can be the number one driver on like higher LTV. If somebody changes their frequency once, their LTV goes up 60 bucks. If they do it like three times, it's like a 200% increase. And if they start... Why is that? Because people basically, you're talking about saving people that would maybe otherwise churn. And so the idea is like a lot of your customers in a good month... And it's like 60, 70, 80, maybe even 90% of your customers on a given month might not need a change. 
They're just getting it the same way they always get it. But there's always going to be a fraction of your business that's like, they're going to be out of town or too much product is piling up, that kind of thing. And so those are the people that are at extra risk every month. And for me, I always say, you're like, you're not going to win to somebody who doesn't like your stuff anymore. If they've decided they just don't like it or they're sick of it, that's fine. Get what info you can from them, put them into a drip win back campaign, but leave it. You want to make sure you're keeping the people that are at risk that are on the fence. And so basically our data is showing that somebody who goes in and makes changes is willing to stick around longer. So the fact that they can make that change means anytime something comes up, they're just going to make a change. And so those customers are more profitable because other customers that don't make changes just cancel. As soon as it's inconvenient or doesn't align with them, they're gone. The best one is if somebody changes a product three times, it's a 600% change in LTV. What? <laughs> 600? They're not only just sticking on the subscription, but they're trying different products. So they're either adding things, they're more profitable. The ability to create engagement and giving people control is definitely something we're seeing as being more profitable from a subscription standpoint. Right. And I guess even too, so back when I was in university, we always used to see tons of marketing for HelloFresh and good food. And what was nice about it is because you have things like reading week or you have things like your winter break when you're back home or... I don't know, obviously things are changing literally 24-7 when you're at university. So having a weekly subscription doesn't really make that much sense because it would be a headache to think about having to organize all of that, obviously like making the space for the food, having time to actually make the food, all that kind of stuff. And so one thing that they talked about, which was actually to both of your points, was that it was super flexible all the time in terms of being able to skip a week or change the day of your delivery or change any aspect about it or even the meal plan size that you have. So if I know one week it's just going to be me or just me and my roommate, I would change it. And then the other aspect was the product choice because the menu was updated literally every couple of weeks, which I thought was incredible. And they always were educating on the fact that they had a chef trying out new recipes all the time so that people never get tired of what's there. And I thought that was even cooler because I was thinking they're really putting time into the product being fantastic. So they know they're investing in a good product. And so that actually hits on both your points. And it was so true. I stayed around much longer as a customer, even though it was expensive as a university student, because I liked that flexibility. I liked that choice. I liked that new and exciting stuff that won't be coming out. And obviously it was a healthier option than eating out all the time on campus. Yeah. Well, and I love that you mentioned like they had a chef, they were telling you they had a chef testing new menus every time and they were updating menus all the time. And, you know, maybe early on they found out that one of the main reasons people churn is they were tired of the menu selection. Like they felt like they were getting the same thing every time. It's like, okay, now we go back and we iterate, we make the subscription more valuable. And then they're making sure you know that's happening so that you don't feel like if things are getting stale, you know that there's new recipes on the way. So yeah, I really like that. Very smart. Also, even just one side little thing was the inserts that they put in the boxes were always something different as well, but partnerships that they thought customers would find interesting. And they definitely did university-related partnerships because they were really trying to focus on getting onto university campuses. So it was interesting because it was almost like an element of surprise every time you open the box, which was kind of cool to see. And that's one of the things I always recommend if you're thinking about from a product standpoint, you can put inserts in that gives that wow factor. People feel like they're getting a cool extra thing, but it's also a, definitely a profitability factor. 100%. And I was even okay with it at that point. I was like, I don't care. I'm just excited to see what's coming up. Maybe get a discount on the first try of trying a different product, whatever it may be. So I was very understanding of that, but I was thinking, it's actually pretty smart. You got to give them kudos for their efforts. Exactly. Now, I had also seen that you have a newsletter called the Subscription Prescription. It took me a couple of seconds to get to make sure I didn't mumble my words there. But 
also in some of the content that you have online and things like that, you always talk about wanting to provide actionable tips that people take from content because obviously there's so much different stuff out there. There's so many different general strategies that you can take, but in your content from your newsletter and some of your videos and things like that, it's clear that you like to provide actionable tips. So what are some actionable tips that people can take from that content that you would typically provide them? Yeah, right out the gate, a couple of things is like, I'm not a big fan of the metric average subscription lifecycle, like how, what the average amount of time somebody's on a subscription, because it's too high level. So thinking about looking at just like, what's your biggest drop-off point? Is it month one to month two? Is it month two to month three, month three to month four? So trying to figure that out. And most subscription software will kind of show you that from a cohort standpoint. So I would say you just start looking at targeting your biggest month drop-off and, and figuring out why and seeing if you can get at that with a gift, extra loyalty points, right? Another discount, something like that to try to get people to stick around, get to that point where they'll stay longer. So that's one thing I do. Like I mentioned, using inserts as gifts, as also as a means of upsell, it's a means of, of that wow factor. From an acquisition standpoint, a really great one you should be testing is defaulting to the subscription option. The other thing would be just really simple things like highlighting the benefits of the subscription option. And I don't just mean like cancel any time. I mean, if it's like, you know, a sleep supplement and your product page is saying like, no, this is great for better sleep. You should be emphasizing what greater sleep over time means, right? And so I think those are just some simple things of getting into understanding why people care about the product and then reinforcing that within the product page, within your messaging. That's the places that I tell everybody they should be starting. So yeah, that's a lot of the kind of the tips. I mean, they could go on and on, but... <laughs> But you'll leave some mystery for the listeners of this podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing up the newsletter. For me, a lot of times, I think a lot of the people I talk to are doing a pretty good job and they're just trying to get a little bit of help, right? Like I just need a little bit of insight, a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of thinking about this differently. And so that's a lot of my content is like, let's just think about this differently for a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be like this. You should try it like this and like discounts is one. So that's a lot of what I do is just trying to help people figure that out. And a lot of times it's just go try this and see what happens. I love that thinking, especially on Twitter and LinkedIn. You just see a lot of general information being thrown out there. So any source of content where someone gets you to think differently, I add a plus one to that for sure, because I like that approach versus telling you this is what you should be doing. If you're not doing this, it's absolutely wrong kind of thing. Because again, something like subscriptions is so unique to the business that is deploying that. So I feel like it's the way about how you think about it versus just this is what you should be doing and this applies to every single business out there. So there's something for everybody there. Okay, now last little part to our podcast, which we're introducing as a new little aspect to our podcast this year is called the lightning round. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like I'm about to learn some interesting things. So I'm going to ask you three quick questions and then we'll end on a little piece of advice, which we always ask on the show. But first question on the lightning round is what's the biggest mistake you made in your career? <laughs> The biggest mistake I made in my career was when I was transitioning into like e-commerce, I got a very nebulous job description because they were just kind of messing around with stuff and they just wanted to throw me into there. So the mistake was thinking that that was going to be, I was just going to figure it all out instead of having something with more clear objectives, I guess is what I would say. That is very fair. <laughs> I feel like many of us have been there before. <laughs> right, right. You keep moving the target on me. You keep yeah, moving exactly. the target on me. And you're like, where is the target? I'm so confused. <laughs> okay. Second question is, if you could have a marketing meeting over lunch with anybody, who would it be? And what would you have for lunch? 
potentially the harder <laughs> question. <laughs> For me, I mean, there's two people that I really, really admire. So either one I'd be really happy with, which would be Dave Gerhart or Justin Welsh. Justin Welsh, because he's a solopreneur and creates a ton of content and systems and empowers people to do the same. Dave Gerhart, just because I think he's one of these guys who's done some high marketing at some pretty big companies and done it really well, but he's a guy who likes things to be simple, straightforward. You know, I've gotten into a debate with him once asking about like a why does your website have this for a title? It seems kind of whatever. And he's like, dude, you're overthinking it. <laughs> <laughs> he tells it like it is. Yeah. Either one of those people. And then for me, tacos, man. Oh, excellent some, some really good tacos. Do you have a favorite kind of taco for chance? I'm a chicken guy. So I like grilled chicken a lot. Steak sometimes, but cotilla cheese with just about anything on it is uh, really good. And it's coming up to lunchtime near for me. So <laughs> it's a good Sorry. reminder. I too love tacos. <laughs> okay. Last but not least in the lightning round is if you could take control of the marketing efforts for one company for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That is a... That's an interesting question, actually. I really like that one. That is. I would say my friend runs an email company similar to like Clavio. Okay. And I would love to take over his company for a day and just go to war with Clavio. <laughs> and the reason I say that isn't like I hate Clavio or anything. Clavio does a lot of great things. I would love to work at a company where I had a very clear enemy because I think it would be easy to market around that. And it'd be a very fun challenge, I'm assuming. Exactly. Yeah. You'd make it fun, like tongue in cheek, you know, they're the worst, wink, wink, like, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Not necessarily like actual vitriol or anything. I think that would be really fun because coming up with competitions. A-B testing against them. Anyway, yeah, there's a subscription software app on Shopify called Skio, And I'm not necessarily promoting their app or anything. I just bringing them up to say their marketing tactic is similar. Like they go up against recharge all the time. Everything is like compared to recharge, compared to recharge, compared to recharge. So for recharge is creating customers for them. And so I think it's great marketing and I think it can be really fun to do something like that. I like that. It's just a challenge. You want to figure it out and see how you can play the game. <laughs> exactly. Make it fun. That's awesome. Great answer. I like that one a lot. Okay. And then last but not least, for real this time, is the question that I love asking every guest on my show, which is, is there a piece of marketing or life advice that someone shared with you once that has always stayed with you? Yeah. I think, you know, just a year ago, my partner in QPilot, David Bradley was, you know, we had a little bit of a hard year last year. We were trying to do fundraising. A lot of things in the business didn't work the way we wanted them to. You know, the end of the year, you're always taking stock and trying to figure things out. And he told me to like, what excites you? What causes you to feel like good energy in the business? And so for me, it's actually been a really powerful thing because what it ultimately meant was, is understanding more about what makes me excited to work. And so for me, it was like, you know, getting into this strategy, this planning phase and this unlocking what new growth might look like. And so doing that actually helped me recharge in a sense. This last year, we hit the ground running and I was super excited about it and we had a, a great year. And so I would say that for any marketer, instead of thinking about how you're supposed to try to fit in or figure out how to be good at whatever you're doing, like think about what actually makes you excited and what makes you happy or feels rewarding for you and to pursue more opportunities in that area. It's just going to be easier for you in the long run. Yeah, I really like that. And I definitely align with that because I think there's so much information and noise out there about what you should be doing. So I like that a lot because it's very much from within you, what you like to do, what gives you energy. And when you have that sort of feeling coming out of you, it's more so you're able to make a positive, great impact on the company or the the project or whatever it is that you're working on. So exactly. I like that a lot. Exactly. <laughs> 
Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today, Matthew. It was honestly an honor to have you. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will really enjoy learning more about your view on subscriptions. I'm sure they're going to check out the newsletter, maybe grab a taco while they're doing it. Who knows? <laughs> but thank you so much for being on the show. And with that, that is the end of this episode. And catch us next time for our next episode of the Customer Retention Podcast. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Lauren. Retain the Customer Retention Podcast is brought to you by Gameball. To find out how you can turn visitors and occasional buyers into loyal, lifetime customers, head to Gameball.co. Make sure to subscribe to Retain the Customer Retention Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you never miss an episode. Thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next time.